Good morning and welcome to Your Pet Matters and the Collaborative Vet YouTube and podcast. I'm your host, Michael Dr. T. Tequila, and we have a special guest. Um, I met him at the VMX conference recently. Um, his name is Jacob Adams. He's the chief scientific officer of Noxano. And Noxano is a company that is, I'll take their model, they're transforming wound healing. And I'll leave it at that because uh, the story is really unique and phenomenal. So, Jacob, thanks so much for being on the show. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Takiwa, for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. That's great. Thanks. And, um, you know, with, with all my guests, what we talk about is we talk about their, what I call the origin story of the guest. And so you have a, it was so funny walking by your booth because I didn't know what to expect. And so you have a, a unique origin story with respect to what's going on here. So I'll let you tell it. <laughs> well, fantastic. Uh, thank you. Uh, now let me start with, it's very exciting for us to be involved in the field of veterinary medicine. Um, and to be totally clear, so everybody who's listening to this can know right away, I am not a veterinarian and I don't have any work experience in veterinary medicine. Uh, I'm actually a chemist. Um, and myself and my other two co-founders who started the company, we have a, four, a fourth co-founder who we brought on as a business partner, um, are also chemists. Um, so the, the story of how Noxano was founded uh, goes back to a time when the three scientific co-founders were working together in a research group. Uh, we were working together at Procter & Gamble, the consumer products good manufacturer, uh, and we had a co-worker. Uh, he was in his early 60s. His name was JC, and JC was a lifelong type 1 diabetic. Uh, JC uh, was a very active individual, uh, an active hiker, camper, kayaker, you name it outside, he did it. Um, he was also a wonderful, wonderfully creative person uh, as a scientist and an engineer. Uh, and just a, an all-around reliable, interesting, bright guy. Uh, and I'll hit on the reliable part that one day he just didn't show up for work. And that was very much unlike JC. Uh, and so... With some people, you'd assume, oh, well, maybe they're, they're running late. Their car didn't start. Uh, you know, maybe the kid had a problem. Not, not JC. Uh, and so uh, after about half an hour of him being late, we, we reached out and called. And uh, his wife answered his cell phone. Um, and she said, oh, he might have time to talk to you before the doctor. Well, it was unlike JC not to tell us he wasn't going to be at work. So this instantly raised red flags. Um, and so she passed the phone over and he said, I, I'm going to have to go in a minute. Uh, they're coming to see if they're going to have to cut my foot off. And that was oh a real, <laughs> oh my gosh, eye-opening moment. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean? We just saw you on Friday and you, were, you had a plan to go kayaking this weekend. Uh, how did Friday, a uh, seemingly healthy person, wind up Monday morning uh, possibly getting their foot cut off? Uh, and then he hung up. And so we were left in suspense. Uh, fortunately, called back a couple hours later and said, uh, they're monitoring me. Uh, and if I show progress in response to the medications they're giving me, uh, they're not going to cut my foot off. He was, he was a positive individual. <laughs> um, and so uh, fortunately, that story resolved without him losing a limb. Uh, he was able to get discharged from the hospital and return to work. It was a, an eye-opening experience for myself and our, my other co-founders uh, who were all working together at the time. And we started getting curious about, uh, well, why would that happen to a diabetic? Uh, and and I, I promise this is going to lead into veterinary medicine very soon. <laughs> um, 
Uh, it turns out that uh, there are over a million uh, diabetic foot ulcers every year. And uh, when a diabetic experiences an ulcer on the foot, uh, if that becomes infected, uh, they're at risk for an amputation. And there's over 80,000 amputations a year in the United States because of diabetes, wow. uh, which is quite quite a large number. Um, and so we started our, our question asking with JC, and then we expanded it to the literature uh, to say, well, why, why does that happen? And uh, if, if you could narrow it down to one thing, and there's a number of things, uh, diabetics tend to be neuropathic, which means they don't get a sufficient amount of blood flow to their extremities. Um, why so the feet more so than the hands? Well, it's quite simple. You you wear shoes and you walk around on them. Um, if you if you walked around on your hands, you probably have the exact same problem with your hands. Um, and so uh, when a wound opens up, a blister that most people would simply resolve within a few days, um, it can it can continue to open uh, and without sufficient blood flow to the area, uh, it can become infected. And if the infection begins to spread, uh, it might lead to an amputation. Systemic antibiotics don't work terribly well. Uh, not that they don't work at all. They just don't work as well as you'd like in diabetics. Uh, and it's because of lack of blood flow. Um, if you talk to a venous uh, uh, leg ulcer, if you talk to somebody um, who, who deals with venous leg ulcers and diabetic foot ulcers, they'll say it, they'll liken it to being a plumber. Uh, you have all your blood vessels, which uh, are, are the plumbing. Uh, and if they're cut off before they get to the source, uh, no matter how many drugs you administer, they just don't get to the right spot. Uh, and so that framing of the question was what was very important to our team. Uh, and so we, uh, we, we got very curious about this. And um, to, to be clear, uh, we, we were working all at Procter & Gamble at the time, and we proposed a project there. Uh, Procter & Gamble uh, the is uh, more focused on consumer product goods than on medical. And so uh, so there, wa there wasn't an interest. Um, and the CEO of our company, Alan Wiley, retired from Procter & Gamble in 2015. And after he retired, he decided that he wasn't ready to be done with science. Um, and this question had been nagging at him for about five years. Uh, why do diabetics have insufficient blood flow? Um, and so he continued to explore the area and found that there is actually a fairly wide abundance of literature uh, on a methodology to improve blood flow um, to diabetic foot ulcers. And it's the application of a small molecule gas called nitric oxide. And so if you mind, I'll back up just a little bit here and say, what is nitric oxide? It's the breakdown product of the amino acid arginine. And so our body generates nitric oxide through the use of enzymes working on arginine. Uh, and specifically, you have enzymes called inducible nitric oxide synthase that in response to a wound, uh, break down arginine and, and generate a spike in the wound. That's designed to uh, disinfect the wound, um, which we know is not perfect or you never get an infected wound. Uh, and it's also designed to begin doing blood flow into the area, polarize macrophages, and it's a signal for the body to bring white blood cells and attack that um, any potential infection there. And then it continues to be where it uses a signaling molecule to grow tissue and revascularize the area. There is some really clever work done in the early 90s, um, mostly out of the state of New York uh, in medical facilities uh, focused on diabetic foot ulcers in humans. And um, what they did is they took a, a gas cylinder 
because uh, nitric oxide is a gas um, produced naturally by your body, but it can be stored in the gas cylinder and uh, actually directly treated wounds with nitric oxide. Uh, and they showed that even long-term ulcers, some that had been open for more than a year, could be closed with the application of gaseous nitric oxide. Wow. Um, pretty cool, uh, but very inconvenient. You can imagine if I have an ulcer, I've got to hold still and pump gas into it. Uh, and there's all sorts of really cool engineering ways that folks tried to do this. Um, and as long as you could sustain delivery of nitric oxide, they work. Um, but they were all either extremely inconvenient or extremely expensive. Uh, so the therapy itself n didn't take off uh, dramatically as a gaseous application. Uh, what has been widely adopted uh, throughout the United States, and in fact, the world, um, are pharmaceutical treatments that deliver nitric oxide. Um, stepping outside of diabetic foot ulcers for, for a minute, uh, the most famous nitric oxide stimulating drug in the world, um, at least as I can ascertain, is uh, called Viagra. Um, <laughs> Viagra was developed as a blood pressure lowering medication. Um, and in fact, the way Viagra works is nitric oxide is a vasodilator, so it opens up that plummet. And uh, when you see, when you see, uh, uh, not just in the, the foot, <laughs> not just in the foot, and actually, uh, uh, the, it, this is why you run clinical trials. You look for side effects, um, and and most folks think of side effects as having a negative impact. Uh, occasionally, there's a positive impact to side effects. And so if you think about the cohort of patients who might be trying a blood pressure lowering medication, they tend to be in an older demographic. Um, and so when you enter into a clinical trial, uh, you keep track of your health records and you note any unusual changes um, to your body. And so effectively, it was an observation that was made that we had uh, a bunch of generally older, generally men, uh, come in and explain that they were uh, experiencing a unique side effect to this blood pressure lowering medication. And so what the drug had actually done is it had opened up blood flow and it may have reduced blood pressure, but it also had a more valuable, uh, at least financially valuable uh, application. <laughs> uh, so, so nitric oxide has many roles in the body. Um, and, uh, and, and so we, we became convinced from reading the literature that, that we could uh, topically apply nitric oxide based on the previous work that had been done. Uh, but we thought with our experience at Procter & Gamble, uh, how do you make a consumer products good? Well, you take something that everybody would like to do that might be either unattainable, uh, incredibly difficult, or too expensive. Uh, and you make it fit into the continuum of care in this case, or the continuum of work through the day. Um, and so we decided to tackle that. We decided we don't need to invent a new molecule or a new drug. We can take something the body uses naturally and that other folks have shown to deliver topically uh, will work to close ulcers. And so our background is chemists. Um, I like to I like to like it, you know, when you, when you go to a carpenter, they, they pull out their tools, they pull out their hammers and their nails um, because that's what they're familiar with. When you go to an engineer, you get a lot of really cool things. And thank goodness for engineers, because we have all sorts of great medical applications the engineers have built. And I look at them and in my mind, it's just blown. Um, but for me, uh, 
my background's actually microelectronics. Um, oh. And so uh, it, microelectronics and the way they use, write lines and spaces and computer chips is all done with light. And the reason they do it with light is because you could do it very rapidly and very finely. Um, and effectively what you're doing is spatial temporally controlling the physical, chemi- physical, physical chemistry properties of a material. And so we thought, well, we can do this same thing to produce nitric oxide. And so we set about uh, proving to ourselves first that could we produce nitric oxide in what we thought might be a cost-efficient and effective way to do so. Um, so we literally started in a garage, like most good startups do. Uh, started in a garage, started playing around um, on the... Uh, after we had spent probably about six months convincing ourselves that nitric oxide was the right thing to be working on, that we thought we might be able to do it, uh, we made our initial stock up run. And so uh, everybody can know how sophisticated early chemistry is. I like to share this, particularly when I speak to high school students. I say, well, how do you invent something? I said, well, the first day we drove to Kroger and Michaels um, and we got everything we needed to, to make an invention at Kroger and Michaels. So there you go. You don't have to have millions of dollars in equipment or sophisticated things. You just have to have a good idea and the basis to believe that you should be able to do this um, in some straightforward manner. Uh, so uh, we assembled uh, our first prototype that day. Uh, and uh, this is a, a little a side note uh, for, for everybody who might be interested. And in, hopefully this is an interesting factoid. Um, if you're ever interested in how well something works on microbiology, uh, but you lack a microbiology lab, and again, you don't always need millions of dollars of equipment. Thank goodness for engineers because they build these beautiful things and these wonderful things that can can be very sophisticated. Um, but if you have a driveway, you have a microbiology lab. Um, <laughs> as long as that driveway is not too new. If it got poured this year, it might be a little too new. If you have a driveway that's three, four, five years old, depending on where you live, if you live in Florida, it probably only has to be six months old. If you live in Phoenix, it might have to be four or five years old. Uh, you will have biological growth on your driveway. And so if you ever want to do an experiment to find out if what you have in your hand is antimicrobial, pour it on your driveway. Don't pour it on the whole driveway. Write your name or something. Uh, and so you'll be able to see if your name is left there residually the next day when you came back you had something that has at least a, a small amount of antimicrobial properties. And uh, so, so we, 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 wrote, we, we didn't write our names. We weren't that creative that day. We just did a big circle. Um, and so uh, the next day we came back and looked at it. And in fact, we did have a big circle cleared on the driveway. Uh, uh, oh, okay. Well, that's not proof it was nitric oxide, but uh, based on our chemical knowledge, we, we took something and, and we did our control. We put everything individually uh, on the driveway and didn't see the circles clear. So we thought, okay, we're on to something here. Uh, no definitive proof, but I think we're, we're headed in the right direction. Uh, and so that's when we started Noxano. Uh, that, that I, I guess we, we, we had talked about the idea and that day we said, okay, we know how to make nitric oxide. At least we're convinced of it. Uh, now we need to figure out how to do this in a way that can fit into the continuum of care for wounds. Uh, and so this is where uh, a little bit of fortune meets uh, hopefully preparedness. 
is that uh, we are based, uh, the co-founders of Noxon are based in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, Cincinnati is only about 100 miles from Columbus, Ohio, where Ohio State is based. Ohio State has a great veterinary school, uh, and they do a tremendous amount of research there. Uh, so we were able to, through some, some mutual contacts, reach out, connect with the veterinary school at Ohio State. Uh, there is a veterinarian named Valerie Bergdahl who works in the University Laboratory Animal Research Facility there. Uh, that we got in touch with and we said, hey, we're very interested in knowing um, how do we transition from a driveway to actual <laughs> wood? And, uh, and by the way, uh, we, we don't know anything about uh, how you go about uh, getting a test like this approved. How do you do it humanely? Uh, we, need, we need a lot of guidance here. Um, and we, we really couldn't, for folks who were looking for guidance, have gotten any luckier than to wander into to her office uh, because she was fantastic about how do you walk through this process? How do you humanely treat animals while you're testing them? And also, just how do you do this efficiently? Um, efficiently for time, money, and then, of course, the well-being of the animals. Any animal that's involved in uh, testing uh, deserves the utmost respect and the minimal amount of interaction with them uh, because they're serving a purpose to help all other animals and humans uh, in this testing. And so uh, we, we were fortunate to find uh, Dr. Bergdahl and she provided some guidance on that. She, uh, she, she wrote the protocol so that it was... Uh, all very well, nicely done, showed us how to do that. And in the meantime, uh, we developed our early prototypes of our bandages. And uh, when I say bandages, uh, they're simply designed to look a bit like gauze pads. Their early versions were a little less sophisticated, uh, but the idea is that they're supposed to be very simple. Uh, they're supposed to fit directly into the continuum of care. And so uh, we designed that test uh, there is a model uh, for a porcine model uh, for diabetic foot ulcers, or at least for um, poor uh, wounds with poor blood flow to them. Uh, and so we tested on that model at Ohio State and were able to heal those wounds faster uh, than control wounds. Um, and so we're very pleased to see that. Um, the very next step for us was that we signed up for uh, testing of the materials uh, in an actual clinical trial on humans at a hospital in Columbus. Uh, we set that up, uh, got that going, uh, and then unfortunately for us, COVID hit. Uh, so we were able to test on humans, uh, but we were unable to complete the, the whole clinical trial. Um, when COVID hit, uh, that the hospital decided that they were halting all uh, research activities and focusing solely on COVID treatments and, of course, any emergency treatments that a hospital would handle. Uh, that, uh, like many things, uh, a very unfortunate event for us, for the nation, for the world, um, certainly for anybody that experienced negative outcomes from COVID. Um, if you look for the silver lining of that, the silver lining was that we paused and said, well, we got into this for um, diabetic ulcers, venous leg ulcers, uh, pressure wounds, that sort of uh, 
injury on humans. Uh, but as animal lovers, we'd always kind of had in the back of our mind, well, if it works for humans, I bet it works for animals. And we had the porcine model in our hand. Um, so, so we knew that we had a really good reason to believe. And so we decided to pivot the company at that point to really focus heavily on veterinary medicine. Um, and so that, that introduced the next challenge of how do a group of folks who have no veterinary medicine background, uh, don't work in a veterinary clinic and uh, don't at least have access to uh, regular access to injured animals, um, you know, barring the, the accident here or there for our own personal pets, uh, you know, it's, it's not something that we were able to initiate the testing for. Um, once uh, once things started to get a bit more settled uh, post-COVID, um, and I'm sure, I, I don't know what the particular restrictions for you or anyone listening to this were, um, but we all know we all went through various uh, alterations to our work and life uh, during that period of time. Uh, we were able to reach out to a number of vets and say, Here's our reason to believe that we can help and, and show the data that we had actually done this on a porcine model. We had applied this to humans. We have very good reason to believe that this would help animals and particularly it would help in some of the worst cases, um, cases where you might run out of options for an animal. Uh, and so we started a sampling program and got this into the hands of as many veterinarians as we possibly could. Um, we were extremely pleased uh, with the results. Uh, if anything, uh, uh, the animals, particularly companion animals, cats and dogs, responded potentially better to the pads uh, than the humans had. And so we were getting really wonderful feedback uh, early on. And so that's sort of how we developed the product, how we introduced ourselves to the veterinary market. Uh, and then we started to grow that market and reach out to more veterinarians, connect through conferences, and find folks like you who uh, had never heard of uh, Noxano, for one, and many who uh, may not have heard of nitric oxide, or maybe if they'd heard of nitric oxide, they might have heard about it in vet school. Uh, and yeah, it's something that's generated in wounds, but uh, we don't have a way to, to conveniently deliver it to wounds. Um, so, so there's some knowledge of nitric oxide and its healing properties, uh, but maybe not a lot of experience on utilizing it in, vet, in the field of veterinary medicine. That Jacob, that is awesome story. That. <laughs>